Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nasson. We just finished watching the Men's Individual Time Trial World Championships. We watched the Women's World Champs yesterday uh, almost simultaneously with recording our World Championships preview podcast. If you haven't listened to that, the first or three quarters of it is dedicated to just the road races, so it's not actually out of date yet. So if you once you finish this podcast, go and check out our World Champs preview to get uh, our thoughts on what's going to happen in the road races this weekend. But we're going to do the men's time trial first, freshen our minds, and then go to the women's time trial afterwards, which actually has a fair bit of news. As we said on the preview, the time trial for the, the parkour for both the men and women was 32K or like 31.8Ks, uh, starting in Imola on the uh, autodrome and then finishing back there as well. The last mm, three to four Ks or maybe, yeah, three Ks was actually the track and that actually made it a little bit interesting and there's a few things to talk about there. But yeah, it's it was pretty much flat. It was a quick, it was, the winner was going to go over 50Ks an hour in the men's, we knew that. So yeah, pretty much flat apart from a few little, few little climbs and what you don't see when you just look at the profile and when you actually look at the the map of the course itself you see how many twists and turns there are particularly in the Imola section now it is mostly straight but there are still a fair few turns it wasn't like a oh like they're in the middle of the uh, UAE or something or uh, Qatar where they just go on a dead flat highway no turns nothing It, it was a little bit technical and very technical in the beginning and end but Benji remind us who were the favorites for the men's TT uh, maybe the top five favorites so in general the two main favorites were Filippo Ghana and Rohan Dennis outside of that the likes of Wout van Aert also Campenarts was up there I think Stefan Kung in the top five as well Dumoulin was up there that's more than five already but behind the two top favorites there were quite a few riders that could really battle it out as well for the third place and potentially challenge those first two riders. So it was not necessarily a decided field, but we did have like two riders that we expected to be above the rest. Obviously, Rowan Dennis uh, coming off back-to-back world championships in 18-19. His first world champs on a Pinarello, though, not on the BMC. He was on in the 18-19 performances. Ghana, who destroyed the Terreno Adriatico stage one ITT course record and putting like 30 seconds into Dennis and co in a 10-and-a-half-minute time trial. So Ghana was the favourite. He certainly showed pretty good form. Uh, leading up to it in this year. He's pretty young as well, only 24 years old, the Italian. And he was Benji's pick for to win, to, uh, yeah, to win today's World Championships. I picked Dennis because I don't know why in hindsight. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to sort of how the how the TT developed. And now, I'll, we'll get to the results, but I'm just trying to build a bit of a narrative on how we actually, how it unfolded as we were watching it. It's good to start with maybe Eduardo Affini. He set a pretty good time for the intermediate, um, 19.06. That was maybe 30 seconds better than the next best one. 
Durbridge said about a 1906 as well, I think. And Andreas Lechnusund, the Norwegian, very talented TT rider. And a few of you hit me up on Instagram saying uh, we were remiss for not mentioning him in our preview. But, yeah, he had a pretty good performance. Mikkel Björk, he was actually a fair bit behind Afeni at that intermediate time split, which was 19 minutes and six. So Afeni was looking good, but then we were, we had in the back of our minds, okay, well, yes, he set a really good time, and I thought Durbridge was going to go really well. But then again, he hasn't been near the top level of the TT specialists for uh, at least a year or more. So we knew the guys rolling off later were going to go quicker, and they certainly did. I think the next best was maybe uh, Cavagna. And then Wout Van Aert was the man, Benji, who really, I think you started to get pretty excited at that point when <laughs> Wout Van Aert rolled in, I think, on 18.51, a full 14 seconds ahead of Afini. And Van Aert looked like he was pacing it pretty steadily as well. I think we got a, a rough time cut split at like 8Ks in. What did you think Wout Van Aert's ceiling was today? Were you just hoping podium at best? Did you think he could genuinely win it, Benji? Like, putting aside that he's Belgian, etc. But, yeah, what did you realistically think he could do today? To be honest, I did think that the two riders that we said beforehand that were the two favourites of winning this were a cut above the rest. And because of that, I never really saw anybody else taking the crown here because you've got two specialists that work for this all year, and then there's this Belgian guy that just comes from the Twitter fronts, didn't train for this at all, and then ends up, yeah, doing a great time. So, yeah, I, I didn't expect him to be this close, to be honest. It probably was more of a potential top five in my eyes, but it's Wout van Aert, it's 2020, so you can basically expect him to be up in every race that he rides. We can't really pretend to be shocked anymore, because he surprises us so much that Every single time he does, it becomes less and less effective on our souls. So in the end, I'm really happy that he did a good time today. <laughs> so yeah, Benji was once again, he was in the helicopter. He was shooting me messages, <laughs> DMing me, being like, holy. And I tell him, you can't tell me what's actually happening because um, <laughs> I'm on this Australian, you know, it takes a long time for the signal to get all the way down here. And he's gone, whoa. And I knew what was happening because it was Filippo Ghana. He'd rolled off. The start ramp second last. It was Dennis last, obviously, as the reigning champion. Not in the national championship skin suit. It was uh, Durbridge, I think, was wearing that because he's the ITT champ for Australia. Anyway, Ganner actually started his Garmin or whatever they use at Ineos after the ramp, which was interesting. Maybe he just forgot to turn it on. He destroyed the intermediate time split. It was a slower, slower course. In the first half, I think. I'm not sure how the, there was a bit of wind around. We thought there might be storms. He ended up, the average of the winner was well over 50Ks an hour, but Ghana set a massive uh, new best on the intermediate time split of 18.05. That was a full minute and a second ahead of Eduardo Affini. Rowan Dennis then a couple of minutes later rolled around. We were keenly waiting to see what time split he was going to sort of make, what well, his time was going to be at the intermediate, and he was 21 seconds behind Filippo Ganna. And I know this is it always sounds ridiculous, but particularly because Ganna Ganna looks like he's going really hard, like he looks like he's trying to rip the cranks out of his bike. And Dennis is a really smooth rider, so 
it's sometimes stupid to be saying, oh, well, Gunner looks like he's going quicker, but he did actually look like he was going quicker, and he certainly was. And the other big surprise, and we've sort of got it the wrong way around, but no matter, the man who'd actually shocked us more than the Gunner time was Geraint Thomas, setting 18.41, still 36 seconds behind Gunner, but Thomas did it first. Thomas set, I think he held the intermediate time check for quite a while and then ended up being in the hot seat for quite a while so he destroyed uh yeah Afini's time Durbridge's time up to that intermediate and I'll just read out the top 12 at the intermediate um just so you know where they were at that point and then we'll see who who dropped off and who improved positions by the end of this TT because there was a fair bit of movement after the intermediate time check first Ganner 21 seconds behind was Dennis, then another 15 seconds behind Thomas in bronze at the intermediate. And Stefan Kung, who I thought would podium today, the Swiss rider, he was six seconds behind Thomas in fourth. Tom Dumoulin looking very, very good at the intermediate, just like he paced sort of quite aggressively in that Planche de Belfi time trial and faded at the end. He was in fifth at the intermediate, about 46 seconds behind Ghana, but just four seconds behind Stefan Kung. And same time, or just a, a half a second ahead of his Jumbo Visma teammate, Wal Van Aert, in sixth. So Van Aert was in sixth at the intermediate, just six seconds ahead of Cavagna, seventh. Victor Campanats and Alex Dowsett, they were about 53 seconds and 59 seconds respectively behind uh, Filippo Ganna. So a fair way off the pace for those guys. I didn't think a podium was really realistic for either of them. And I think at Kasper Askren, rounded out the top 10 exactly one minute behind Ganner at the intermediate. And so the average was 49.4 for Ganner there and, yeah, 46.8 or 46.85 for Askren down in 10th up to that intermediate. So it was certainly quicker in the last uh, the last half of the TT. But, yeah, which which performance there surprised you and really piqued your – got your attention, Benji? Was it Kung doing quite well? Was it Van Aert? Did you think Van Aert was negatively splitting it or pacing it slowly? Um, or did you think Dennis was going to come back? Like, What were your thoughts about what was going to happen when you saw those times? Well, firstly, an official apology to any Grain Thomas fans out there that Dowsett <laughs> is indeed a worse time trialist than Grain Thomas. So uh, I'll lift that off all of your shoulders. I know you're waiting on it if you uh, listened to the last podcast we did. But yeah, I was surprised by Thomas's performance and I do admire that. He did this. Well done, man. And as I said before, it's kind of funny that some riders are focusing all out for world championships. And then there's this guy, Green Thomas, who was, well, le- letting his bike up to the side in a in a COVID season and then basically ends up beating a few of them on this time trial. So kind of funny. But in the end, I uh, I do appreciate his performance. In general, I was not necessarily surprised by Wout Fanart having a decent time there but I already wrote him off kind of over there because I didn't really expect him to come back too much after the intermediate because well I, I made a mistake thinking that because if we compare it to previous time trials that what Wout does he's a bit of a diesel like Campanards but Campanards didn't really have a good day today they basically started one pace after that they start to speed up a bit and they speed up a slight bit more and a slight bit more and towards the end they are at their level and they are at their max. So it's a bit of a hard engine that can last long. And if we compare that to Ghana, who starts his time trials at a very high level and 
he lowers it a tiny bit by a tiny bit towards the end of a time trial. And we see that at the way he is better in shorter time trials. But obviously, Ganna is great in longer ones as well. We saw that today. But in general, it just feels like he starts time trials at a higher level than he ends them compared to with an art who does the opposite. Is that something I just imagine or is that actually a thing? Yeah, I mean, I we saw obviously Wafanar negatively split the Planche de Belfi ITT, but that's a way different parkour. But obviously he didn't negative split as aggressively as that today, I don't think. But I think he still, that was his pacing strategy. And I think Dumoulin's pacing strategy from Planche de Belfi as well, while scaled down, it was still go out super hard and see if you can hold it. Whereas, yeah, as you said, I think Wafanar really builds into the into the ITT. And then after the intermediate, I think the next man onto the hot seat who really bumped Eduardo Afini off it was Grant Thomas, and he was going to be sitting there for quite a while. He said a new best time of, let me see if my math is all right, 36 minutes and about 31 seconds, I believe. So Thomas in the hot seat, starting people thinking, holy, could there be an Ineos 1, 2, 3 in this World Champs ITT, which would it looked like that could definitely happen for quite a while. And, yeah, Thomas looked really, really good, as you said, Benji. Um, let, let's remember, though, uh, Benji picked Pogaccio winning Tour de France, and he also picked the ultimate winner of this individual of the World Champs, and I got it wrong. But, yeah, Great Britain have been baying for your blood ever since uh, you said that, Benji. So um, just like I had to apologise to Team Sunweb, and half apology about Case Bowl. Yeah, we've got to do public apologies on this podcast. But yeah, Thomas looking fantastic for that Giro. And we'll maybe talk about it. I'll talk about it now. But you see the photos of the Stelvio. You see the, the weather. If there's no mountains and it's just an ITT fest and some midi mountain stages, whew, Thomas should be the favorite for that in the form he's looking at. But just keeping on track with the world champs. Then it was Stefan Kung, I think, coming in, and he bumped Grant Thomas off the hot seat. He came in eight seconds ahead of him, I think with a time of 36 minutes and about 23 seconds. And then what did we see? The next thing I saw was, or I remember, was Tom Dumoulin skidding out. I don't know which corner it was. It was in the last maybe four or five kilometres, and his bike bucking all over the place. He managed to stay on. I think it was a left-hand sort of 90-degree corner. And then he went through the chicanes so, so slowly. Like people were saying he would have been quicker on his road bike because, they, yeah, there was at least a sort of an F1 track and there were chicanes there. And we'll talk about how at the after the, the results, how strange the rider seemed to ride it. But, yeah, that really bumped Dumoulin down and he ended up moving from fifth at the intermediate and he, he finished 10th with a time of 37.08, uh, and it was, I believe, yeah, 37.08. So he lost a fair bit of time in that last half of the TT, and it was Wout van Aert, and Benji started getting very G'd up. Wout van Aert came in, he knocked Kung off the, the hot seat, and he went into the hot seat. So Thomas was there for a while, and then, yeah, Wout van Aert was there just three seconds ahead of Kung with an average speed of 52, I think, Ks an hour, 49 and 49, and what was his time? 36.20, so a really, really good time, especially as he was sixth at the intermediate and he moved up to now being in the hot seat with just pretty much Dennis and Ghana on the course, I think. Um, maybe I've got Wavanard and, uh, and Kung in the hot seat mixed around a little bit. But anyway, 
The point was, we saw Ganna, we saw him come onto the F1 track, we saw how he's looking, he destroyed he destroyed this TT. There's no other way to put it. He set a new best time when he finished at 35 minutes and 54 seconds, averaging, I'm going to round it up for him, 53 Ks an hour for this 31.7 K ITT. And given how Dennis was looking, then, then we were like, oh, my God, that's, well, Dennis was down at, at the intermediate. Ghana seems to have increased his speed. He's probably gone like 55, 56 in that second half. And then, yeah, what did you see from Dennis as they went on to the last three Ks on the F1 track, Benji? Because it kind of looked looked a little bit all over the place. Dennis did look worse on that Imola track than quite a few other riders. And in general, a lot of riders had this, that it looked like the Imola racetrack is wider than normal roads. And because of that, it looked like the riders rode that like they would ride narrow roads. So they would take their corners like an F1 car would. But the thing is, the MLR racetrack is too wide for that, I think, because you can take these corners way more efficiently. And I think quite a few riders lost quite some time there. And genuinely, I've got the feeling that if you ride maybe, if you pretend the road is smaller and ride it way more condensedly, I think you can do better cornering. And I think that's what Wout Fanad especially did with his technique and so forth. He was able to corner that quite a lot better than get to speed again better than any of the other riders here. And that's why Vanard was one of the best riders on the second part of the course, which just is better for him. And you said it with Dumoulin in that one corner, there were quite a few corners like that, where I was like, oh God, this is sketchy. And it's also because of the weather. It was the whole day close to raining, with a bit of rain sometimes, a bit of no rain, then rain again. And in some corners, I really thought that someone would actually crash, but I'm glad no one did today. So uh, that's the good part, I guess. But in general, yeah, Rohan Dennis didn't look too fire in the last few kilometers. And we saw that especially when his time cut came on the screen because he did not end up beating Ghana, nor did he actually end up beating Vanard, nor did he actually end up on the podium of this world championship. So a failure on his part. Yeah, I don't know how the corners affected him, the, the sort of... We didn't see too much of him in the technical sections until right at the end. And then we saw he was actually, it almost looked like his back wheel was kind of drifting on the F1 track. Um, but I'll read out the results to you all because um, Dennis was the last to cross the line. It was Ghana first, Wavanath second, 26 back, Kung third, 29th back, the second Swiss medal uh, of the world champs already. Here she watch for the road race. Thomas fourth. 30 seconds, 37 seconds back, rather, and Dennis fifth, 39 seconds behind Filippo Ghana. Askren, a very nice performance from him, 47 seconds back. Cavagnar, 48 seconds back in seventh. Campanats and Dowsett, 52 and a minute and six behind Filippo Ghana. Actually, okay performances from those guys, but still, we'll talk about them in a second. Tom Dumoulin, 10th, a minute and 14 back, just a bit ahead of Oliveira, Bevan. Mikkel Berg, 17th, a minute 47, just five seconds ahead of Danny Martinez. Um, that is a really big surprise for me about Mikkel Berg. Now, he's back-to-back-to-back under-23 world champs, 17, 18, and 19. And to be finishing this TT when he's a – like he is supposed to be a TT specialist – just five seconds ahead of Martinez is really surprising to me. And he looks to have a different setup almost completely now on the Colnago. And at UAE, he was on Pinarello's before. 
Um, so I can't remember what team he was on, but he was on a Pinarello before. His setup was just – he was lit. And he looks really stretched out. Looks, he, I saw – I was watching it a lot, actually, because he said he he struggled in uh, a recent time trial as well and he didn't um, – in a stage race and he wasn't happy with his performance or maybe it was Europeans and he was, oh, just missing something. And then I was watching today and he's just like – the, he knows more than me. The guy was helping Tata Bigacci with his TT recon, but still, he was moving around on the saddle loads. Other people were mentioning it too. He didn't look like he was locked into the saddle um, at all. And yeah, to be coming behind maybe you know Yasha Sutlin or Nelson Oliveira or yeah, just I thought I thought his level would be a little bit higher. And I think it might be yeah, it might be the watts, might be the position. I'm not sure, um, but yeah, that's just something to watch. Just a little bit surprising to me, and a better another performance from a Scandinavian youngster who I think signed with Sunweb is uh, Andreas Leknesund, who came. Yeah, it's a minute thirty back, but yeah, he's not World Tour yet. I don't think. I think he's still you know X. And coming thirteenth, like Paddy Bevan, just behind him, he's an underrated rider. Bevan, I think he's still at CCC. So yeah, good performance from Leknesund. But yeah, Filippo Ganna taking out the world champs, ITT beating. Van Aert, Kung, Thomas, and uh, and Dennis. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to go so far and say it was a flop by Dennis. I'd like to see the Watts first, um, changing bikes or whatever. Could be that could be the difference between maybe being on the podium and being in fifth. Um, I think it more says, yeah, what a great performance from Thomas it was, and Vard Van Aert. Like, well, Van Aert's just bounced back from. The Tour de France looking, yeah, he looks like the uh, <laughs> the unbeatable man, except I guess Gunner won today. Um, what do you think, Benji? It's been a bit of talk on Twitter about this, and I think I agree with you, but I'll let you say it first. A 31.7K time trial for the World Championships. Some people are saying that's too short. A true TT should be 50Ks, so it's about an hour um, to really show the best time trialists. Um, yeah, do you think... 31.7 is too short or just about the right length? I totally disagree with that uh, with that analogy in the sense that a time trial should not be longer to get the best rider to make it because for me, the best time trialist is the time trialist that can do the best on what most of the World Tour profiles of time trials look like. In previous years, the World Championship time trial was 50-ish kilometers or higher which means that it does not really represent the real time trials that are in any other races. So you've got a world champion who is specializing in long time trials and cannot really apply anything properly on the shorter time trials that are actually ridden every single week, pretty much in, in world recycling. So you don't have time trials of 50 kilometers in stage races anymore. And maybe that's more of the issue than the length of this world championships, actually. I believe there should be more lengthier time trials in the world. Definitely in Grand Tours, there should be a 50k one at least once a year. But you can't expect the world championships to be a 50k one if all the rest of the time trials are 25, 30, 20 kilometers, because then that world championships race only represents, well, the topography and the length of that world championships time trial and not necessarily of any of the other time trials. So it's a different discipline, prologues versus long time trials. It's written differently and different riders are better at them. So you don't really have a world championships for prologue riders ever. 
by the way. I feel like those guys are discriminated in this discipline. And maybe that's a weird thing to say, but there's plenty of riders that are better at shorter time trials and longer time trials. And those people never really get the opportunity of becoming a world championship in, well, in time trialing. So is that something that you've got on your mind as well, that there's a bit of a, an offset in that? And additionally, I'd like to ask whether you also want more longer time trials to be in world tours so it automatically fixes the issue of only having one large time trial in the year. I think every grand tour should have to have a minimum amount of individual time trialing and, a, and each one should have a team time trial in it. I think that should just be a requirement of grand tours. But I guess the grand tour organisers, they, they really call the shots. They can they can make the parkour whatever they want it to be. The UCI can't really do anything about that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think 30Ks to 40Ks is the right amount for the world champs. It's the balance between, okay, Filippo Ganna, he's the prologue master right now. Can he do it for 30Ks? Um, maybe if it was 40Ks, it'd be a lot, a bit closer between him and Wout Van Aert. So maybe you cost your countryman a gold medal with your opinion there, Benji. But yeah, maybe 40K is the right distance, but I think 50 is, 50 is too much because, yeah, it's not in the stage races. And then it comes down to, like, who's wrecked the entirety of the course more. And, yeah, I just think that suits riders like Campanas a little bit more or Dowsett and Co. Um, I think, yeah, we saw last year in Yorkshire, it was a long TT from memory. And I think this was a good balance between, yeah, the, the pure power guys and the sort of I call, I call them Dennis is like a blend. He's still got the really high power, but he's super aero as well. And then yeah, like Campanas is all about aero, etc., and reconning the courses uh, as well. So yeah, I think thirty k, thirty two k is a fair enough balance. It's also thirty five minutes, so yeah, I don't need to be watching a one hour time trial every year. I think it was actually a good length of time trial. It was actually pretty exciting. There's lots of stuff happening. Um, so I wouldn't change it at all. Um, but yeah, I've forgotten your second question, Benji. Was there a second question at all? Uh, I forgot it as well, to be honest, but I do want to move into what you said that we might've had a different winner if it was longer. And I'm not sure. We don't really have a confirmation of gun on extremely long time trials. We saw third last year. That was the longest one he did. And despite that one, there's not really one in his history that we can point at. So it's hard to really guess how good he is at 50 kilometers. But from what I saw today, he was better in the first part than the second part. But maybe that's because Van Aert was better in the second part than in his first part. So it's hard to really guess it. It looks like they kind of took this time trial on differently. And yeah, Ghana was in in general, in average, just the strongest today. And uh, well, to be honest... Uh, I'm glad he is because it's a rider I've been looking at quite a while. He's uh, He's been quite a talent, to be honest. And throughout the years, we saw him better tiny bit by tiny bit. He also is pretty decent at climbing. And regarding cobbles, I'm very curious what he would do on a, for example, a Paris-Roubaix. I don't expect him to to win it, but I expect him to be able to be good on that because... It might be an easy way to say it, but if we look at the top four in this time trial, he's the only person that does not have a cobble history. So I think with a time trial skill... Oh, no, he, he won Perry he won Perry Rubin under 23. Oh, okay, yeah, I remember that now, actually. So I would dare to put him on Paris Rubin next year. 
and see where he, where he can go. Maybe not this year, but next year, why not? I think he's at the Giro this year, so I don't think he can do Paris-Roubaix this year. But I would definitely dare to try that 100%. And I, I would love to see what he can grow in outside of time trolling now that he has become world champion, because... I don't necessarily want him to focus on this time trialing his whole career because he's got plenty of things he can also do additionally. Dumoulin does that with GC and also did that in a Bing Bang Tour one year. Stefan Kung does that in Cobbles. Dennis doesn't do that at all anymore after he decided to try and go for GC and it didn't really work out outside of to the Swiss last year. And you've got Asgren who does Cobbles next to that. Cavagnazza. Well, Cavagnazza should do Cobbles as well, to be honest. He the decent at the uh, smaller couple races. So in general, I feel like riders that go for time trolling should try and at least get one extra discipline next to it so we see them more. That's just my opinion. But yeah, I'm happy that he won. Italian in Italy. I love it. And yeah, that's great. I think he's got a massive future ahead because as you said, he can climb and he's got Paris Bay under 23s under his belt and nothing else back in 2016. And he's already got... St- Two times, second on GC. Now, not the biggest race in the world, but a Velta San Juan tune-up race in January. But there's climbing in that race. It's a stage race. And he was second behind Oscar Sevilla in 2018 and second behind Remco Evenepoel this year. And I remember Evenepoel, I think, attacking him on climbs uh, in this year's edition. I think it was back in the well, start of February. He's, he's a guy I think can win one-week stage races with the right profile just because... Okay, say he loses a minute on maybe the one mountaintop finish. Well, depending on who beats him by that minute, if it's someone like Miguel Angel Lopez or Vlasov, well, if there's a TT of any decent length, more than just a prologue, he's going to gain that time back. And, yeah, I think he's even a guy, I know it sounds ludicrous, he's a massive unit. Um It'd be interesting to see if any of us are like, let's try and let's begin our most difficult project ever of turning a time trialist into a GC contender with a man who's like six foot four. Um, that might be a stretch too far. You'd need an absolutely freak parkour, I think, for that to ever happen. Someone did ask me that question the other day, and I think that wouldn't be the best use of their time, honestly. Um, I think they should focus on, yeah, as you said, Benji, getting, getting him on the cobbles, Races Bing like that, tour. and maybe if, yeah, Bing Bang Tour, exactly. One week stage races, Bing Bang Tour, and maybe another one that suits him as well with a decent TT in it. Um, but yeah, what do you think any also going to do with him? I generally don't know. I hope that they do Bing Bang Tour with him because thinking about it now, that's honestly perfect for him. And we could see how we can get over these bergs because you can do cobbles then, but you got to get over those bergs with the best as well. Obviously, you've got a bit of an advantage with the uh, with the uh, time trial skills, but you still got to keep it in that race. And there's a lot of people that want to attack you in that race. So might be a good test to see how he is in explosivity towards other riders that try to attack him. And if he can adapt towards that in some way, for example, if someone attacks him on, I don't know, I'm going to name a random climb the Potter bank or uh, yeah, something like that. And he's able to lose a bit of time on the climb itself, but maybe try and make his way back afterwards how he handles that and how he handles the pressure of being under attack all the time to see how he can end up in the Bing Bang Tour. But I'd definitely try it. would be cool to see him. Yeah, definitely. Um, it says he's down for both the Bing Bang and the Giro, but I'm not sure that's possible. I feel like the Bing Bang finishes the last stages on the prologue of the Giro. So 
No, I think he's just doing this Euro. And he's only contracted to Ineos for, next, uh, for this year, I think. I can't see him as having any extensions. So he's going to be getting a very, very juicy contract, Filippo Ganna, for next year. I assume he'll be staying at Ineos. He's just, he's perfect for that team. Um, but yeah, just a guy who he lost the TT by nearly two minutes to Dennis last year. That was an hour and five minutes, the Yorkshire TT with Remco in second. And then just this year, he stepped it up another level. We've seen his 4K pursuit time and now Terreno prologue. And then just, yeah, the favorite for the world champs in Italy. And he brings home, brings it home for Italy at Imola. And yeah, I just wanted something we touched on, or you mentioned Benji was the, the chicanes in the, on the F1 track. Durbridge had a lot of trouble with it. Now, I don't know if it was the rain that made it really slippery, but yeah, a few riders seem to really have trouble with it. Durbridge, Dumoulin, Dennis, um, Kung looked pretty smooth. I think Wild Van Aert, as you said, just monstered it and pedaled through every chicane just about. And it's interesting, right? Because you think, okay, these corners are designed for cars going like 300 kilometers an hour. Well, probably not that quick, not that quick in the corners, but still it's like exponentially, going exponentially quicker than the bikes. But I guess a TT bike is just so immobile <laughs> compared to an F1 car. That's my hot take of today. So you can <laughs> you can write that down. A time trial bike is yeah, it's not an ag- as agile as a uh, as a Formula One car. So just just we give you pretty good insights on this podcast. And as I say that, I know I sound ridiculous, but yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, these corners are so wide, and they seem to having reconned it. They kind of cooked them a lot of the times. It was like as if they hadn't even done done it at race pace. Uh, whereas like yeah. Well, Van Arch was just able to, I think, gain quite a bit of time there. But anyway, that was the men's World Champs ITT. Any last thoughts, Benji? What do you think about did Campanas and Dowsett show enough? They're both, oh, Campanas is contracted to NTT till 2022. But yeah, what did you see from Dowsett? Did, did he show enough for you to be, if you're a World Tour team, to be asking for his contract uh, for 2021 because I think he's out of contract at ISU and not they haven't re-signed him yet. Well, to be honest, I think he's only good at world championships and not really outside of that. <laughs> so it's hard to really value him as a team when he doesn't really ride well if he's under your team, but he does well under his nation. So for me, I wouldn't sign him. But on the other end, he's a, he's a kind guy, so I don't want to disrespect him either. But outside of that, Dowsett, yeah, kind of disappointing because he always has this one good day on, on UCI World Championship time trial. So that's why I was guessing that he would do better than Thomas because I didn't expect Thomas to be at this level, which, well, I maybe should have, but I didn't. Anyway, outside of him, I think Dumala, I think you're a bit harsh on him, to be honest. I think he lost his time in the second half. This first half was looking good. And I think he lost his time mainly because he started making mistakes in corners and not necessarily his time trial skills, which I don't know if that counts as time trial skills, but I believe that if... Oh, you mean he wasn't losing it, power. It's not because he lost power. It was more the handling yeah. that lost and the time. And as, as a consequence of being in, in terrible cornering situations at two occasions, I think, that then maybe it frustrates and lowers your effort for the rest of the time trial. So I think it might be a combination there because he wasn't looking like he was actually dying on that Imola course trying to get the best time anymore because he probably thought to himself, well, I'm I'm fucked anyway. But he didn't get that bad one minute back. I think if you are 
if you take away those corner mistakes and so forth, you end between between a Dennis and a Calvanya, I think. But Campenard's disappointing. He said he re- he did a good time trial for himself, which yeah, that's that's not a good sign, I'd say, because he's one of the riders that also focuses solely on time trialing, and he said it before. He wants to be the best in the world in time trialing, and at this moment, he's not that, and he has really never been. So I'm curious whether he will keep that goal until eternity and maybe regret it in the last parts of his career when he sees that he potentially didn't get it and then be like, I could have done so much more. So yeah, I'm a bit disappointed there as a Belgian. On the other hand, well, Cavagnol's not bad, Asgain's not bad, so he's not necessarily in a bad spot, but there's just a lot of competition on this one, in my honest opinion. Last year we had riders that really really were shot above the rest with Dennis Evenepoel. I'd even gone out a tiny bit towards the rest, but maybe that's because the length was larger of the time trial as well. You raise a good point there about the, you got to remember not each world championship is alike. 2019, the field was very different and it's a different course to this year. I think this year, the course and field was pretty much the cream of the crop, except for Evenepoel. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone else. They weren't able. To, anyone else wasn't able to be there. Maybe Tadej Pogacar <laughs> and Primoz Roglic as well. Um, but last year, Townsend came fifth. He was two minutes behind Dennis. This year, he came ninth, and he was one minute behind Ganna. And what was he? Twenty-five seconds behind Dennis. So extrapolating that out to the full hour. He pretty much did the same, if not a better, performance in this World Champs, except he came away with ninth rather than fifth. And same with, I think, Campanaz did an okay performance, to be honest. Last year, where he lived in Yorkshire for just about a month, he didn't even crack the top 10. I know he had the crash, so yeah. I don't know. I don't, yeah, they had the crash, so maybe that doesn't really count. But still, last year you had like Tano Kanga came seventh, Lawson Craddock came sixth, and Norton Nelson Oliveira eighth. This year, it's a murderer's row of Gana Van Aert, Kung, Thomas, Dennis, Askren, Cavagna, Campanas, Dowsett, Dumoulin, 10th. And Bevan, not even make Bevan, who came fourth last year, like three seconds off the podium behind Gana, he came, he came 12th. So, yeah, it's super high level this year. I'll be interested to hear what the riders say about, you know, people coming out saying, I did my best performance ever and I came 13th or whatever. Maybe, yeah, they say that. Um, I think Ghana's at an insane level, to be honest. And, the, yeah, his power must just be be insane. One one humorous note we'll end the men's ITT on is the worst marketing ever for a company I've seen in the last two weeks. And I know we're looking for, uh, uh, at the moment, looking for sponsors for the show, Benji, but um, I think we might have to write this one off because laser helmets, um, the planche de Belfi, the whole debacle where they made a big promotion about how they were shipping a helmet across to Roglic for him to use, and then it just... I don't need to explain to you what happened with the Roglic <laughs> helmet. We can laugh about it now in the Stage 20 TT in the Tour de France. And then today, Dumoulin was back in the old helmet, and he used the new laser helmet in the uh, Planche de Belfi ITT. So he's back in the old helmet <laughs> minus the visor, right? They've done something, taken the visor off, I think, and was using Sunnies. And that's got to be the worst marketing ever on the biggest stage 
Tour de France, and then World Champs ITT, and he's literally fucking thrown your helmet in the bin, and he's gone back to the old one and made some home modifications. So, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty funny, Benji. Like, we'll go on now to the women's individual time trial. Um, that was the news from yesterday. It was on the same same course, pretty much exactly the same route. Thirty two k's out and back in Imola. Um, let me just bring it up here. It was the big news, which you already know, is that Chloe Diget had, we mentioned on the preview podcast, she had a pretty pretty serious crash during this time trial. She was obviously the favourite for America. She's the back returning champion from 2019, Diget. She, oh, I, I thought she was going to win pretty comfortably, actually, given that Annemiek van Vleuten, van Vleuten sorry, was not racing the ITT. She was actually doing the road race. We talked about whether she should be doing that or not on the preview pod. Uh, other favourites were Anna van der Bregen, who I think she's won World Champs ITT before, Marlon Roester, the Swiss, she's very strong, Lisa Brenau, Grace Brown, Emma Norsgaard, I think sister of Matthias Norsgaard, the, the Movistar rider, time trialist, uh, yeah, Ellen van Dijk for the Netherlands, Audrey cordon Rogot, the uh, French rider, she can sometimes do some pretty good results. Um, and Georgia Williams and Michaela Harley for New Zealand, I thought we were going to do an okay TT as well, um, given that what, especially what Harvey had looked like in uh, Giro Rosa. But yeah, the big news, Benji, from this TT is, I guess, Diget crashing on that right hand corner, uh, not even a particularly sharp corner. At the time, I believe she was like 30 seconds ahead of the next best time. Um, at the intermediate, I think so. She was, she was going to win comfortably, uh, to be honest. And yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know exactly whether they have the, what is it, the the team radio in their ear to tell them, hey, you don't need to absolutely cook it in this corner. But yeah, it looks like she. This is what my perception of what happened in the crash was. She's in extensions in TT position. She starts. Ped- she keeps pedaling quite late from the back reverse camera view, suggesting that she hasn't really seen that the corner's there. Or yeah, she's like she's just pedaling quite late, so she's coming to the corner really, really fast. She then half comes up out of TT position with one hand. I think goes onto her right brake, which I I don't know. Maybe that's her front brake. I don't know what in Australia that would be a front brake, and. She keeps her left arm, I think, on the extension. So a really weird position, not a very good, not a balanced position, not a position you want to corner in. It wasn't a particularly sharp corner, to be honest. And yeah, I thought she could almost have hit it in extension, some people were saying. But yeah, it's not a corner. If you came out of extensions and you're in uh, the bull bars, you should have been, she should have been fine. Like it's not a particularly savage corner. They still had padding up in some places. And then it was too late. She took a really bad line. And was going into it too fast at that point. She then started braking while she was off balance and had weird hand placement. And yeah, it like started bucking the bike really badly. People were saying it looked, oh, has she flattered? It, no, it didn't really look like she. that was the case at all. It looked like she'd gone in too fast, then started panic braking. And I was bucking the bike. And then she went towards the the barrier on the side of the road. And just like, was it Benji Teichbenot in the... In Tour de France, when the Savello uh, the Savello got chopped off at the uh, just below the seat post, something similar. She had a 
yeah, pretty bad impact with her knee, I think, into that guardrail, which had a, a V. You know, it was obviously quite sharp and sustained a pretty serious wound to her uh, left leg. She's She seems to be okay. Um, so she seems in good spirits. She's been posting some pretty quirky things on Instagram and stuff. So that's really good to see. She's in good spirits. I think she's even joking about it, how her, her leg cast isn't particularly aerodynamic. Um, so all's well that kind of ends well. Uh, from that perspective, your health and your mind are more important than how you're going to recover. So whether you're going to do a 50K an hour TT in three months, um, that's not really, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But yeah, that's it's a bad accident, but I'm happy that she seems to be okay uh, largely because it could have been worse. And I guess that also shows how Benoit could have been got lucky in that crash in the tour. You know, when nothing really happens, maybe I think he might have hurt his finger or something, but when nothing really happens with them, you're like, oh, well, it wasn't too bad about a crash. But it's like he was maybe inches from slicing his leg on that guardrail because it sliced up and snapped his Savella seat post pretty good. Now, maybe they're pretty fragile and more fragile than people's uh, skin and bone. But, yeah, what did you see from this Digert crash, Benji? And there was a fair few people, like, blaming, criticising the UCI. Um, that's the first thing people do when there's a crash or something for the, the bad placement of the padding. Yeah, firstly, regarding the crash, I'm glad that she's able to make a full recovery, according to the reports, at least, from UCI Cycling, the official, uh, well, national team. And additionally, the actual injuries that she has is not necessarily to a bone or anything, so she doesn't have broken bones, but just above her patella, just above her kneecap, she had a laceration, and the actual muscles that were, well, touched was the fact that she basically had a severed uh, quadriceps and additionally severe damages to her um, ligaments of her knee. So it's not great. It doesn't look great. I unfortunately saw the picture because a newspaper used it as the cover picture and I didn't like that. But in the end, I'm glad that it's moving forward and it's moving to a positive thing for her as well, that it's not career ending or, yeah, it's probably season ending, but let's hope she can make her her way back quite quickly and hopefully she can be back at the top pretty soon. But additionally, those spatting, well, remarks, I think it was Neil Rogers on Twitter that, pointed out that he was not necessarily pointing out that it was a mistake by the organizers. He was just saying that he would expect in the men's race that after that, they adapt the padding to be longer, which was actually the case. So he wasn't wrong. But the way he said it, a lot of people thought he meant that he was blaming the organizers. So I think he's a bit of a misunderstood man in that tweet, to be honest. And I think the main meaning there is that in hindsight, the padding could have been larger, but I don't expect that an organizer can expect a, a deviation because of a bad corner like that. If you take that corner badly, you are probably going to end up a bit earlier in the corner. But she was able to somehow do the corner pretty well at the start, but then something went wrong. And because of that, she didn't really have mistakes in the apex, but just behind that. And that pretty much made the consequence that she landed in that very instead of the padding. So. It's really unfortunate, but unfortunately, we can't expect to have padding all over the parkour. But yeah, in hindsight, it could have been longer, but I don't really blame the organizers in this situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a freak accident in that it's not like she slid out because she hit the apex as you'd expect and then crashed in that way and hit the guardrail. It was very odd. And 
I, I don't really, I'm reluctant to blame the UCI in this case too much. Um, and usually yeah, I try my best to avoid Neil Rogers tweets uh, where possible. But yeah, as a, as a case either way, um, they did change it. That's probably just face saving, I guess, from UCI. I mean, if even if they weren't wrong initially, if someone crashed again and hit the guardrail and didn't hit the padding, then they definitely were going to get would be getting sued. So, yeah, it's a shame you can't pad the entirety of a TT course. And looking at it, it's not a particularly dangerous corner. Um, but look, yeah, I'm glad that Diget is in good spirits on the road to recovery. But back to the time trial. It's kind of just like Giro Rosa, unfortunately. Annemiek van Vleuten was going to win the Giro Rosa GC. She got taken out by a crash. That wasn't her fault in any way. But yeah, it was Anna van der Breggen for the Netherlands taking out the individual time trial world championships. Um, she's already won the world championships road race. She won the Olympic Games road race in 2016. Um, just an incredible career. She's only 30, by the way. And she's already said that she's going to retire after the Olympics. So, yeah, she kind of gets spoken about now behind, I guess, Van Vleuten and uh, and Mariana Vos. But, yeah, under Van der Breggen, crazy career. Two Liège, best on Liège as well. She set a time of 40-20, average 47 k's an hour. Not a big gap, by the way. This was very close. Gap of only 15 seconds to Marvin Reusser, who was the first Swiss medal for the World Championships, IT oh the World Champs. Second one was Stefan Kung today. And then another Dutch Dutch woman on the podium, Ellen van Dijk, third, 31 seconds behind Anna van der Breggen. And yeah, she's 33. She's contract, doesn't have a contract next year. She's moved to Trek Segafredo, Ellen van Dijk. She was on on their team last year. Um yeah, she's won like 29 ITT races in her career. And she won Dwarsdor of Landeren last year. So she just kind of not gets doesn't get spoken about as well as much as the other riders, but still winning big races and um, picking up a handy handy podium here. Lisa Brenauer, fourth, 45 seconds back. Great from Germany. And Grace Brown, the Australian, who I think I spoke about in the uh, GP Plue tactics when we discussed that. She came fifth. Pretty good result, actually, for her. Grace Brown, Michelin Scott rider. A minute behind Anna van der Breggen, Amber Neben for the United States, a minute 20 back. Um, yeah, good result from her. She's 45 years old. She's a TT specialist. I think she won, like she's won two of the Chrono des Nations. And yeah, she's won, she won the World Championships ITT actually in 2016 and back in 2008. So yeah, amazing consistency from her as well. She's got like 23 pro ITT wins. And but yeah, it's it was a big drop off, I guess, from about sixth down to down to tenth. Um, Audrey Cordon Rigaud, who I thought might get into the top five, came eleventh, one minute fifty three back. Good result for Emma Norsgaard, actually, though the Danish rider in seventh, one minute twenty two back. She, I think, she has a lot of coaching from those, yeah, from her brother and from Mikael Berg as well. Especially, I think he, yeah, they they're always tinkering with all of their positions. They're always doing something and maybe Mikael Berg messing with his position was hasn't been great for him this year. But, yeah, Emma Norsgaard, fantastic result from her. And can Anna van der Breggen do the double? Like, she's looking in great form. Van Vleuten, I don't think, has – like, I'm not really counting her as one of the heavy favourites as I normally would, given her injury for the women's road race. And, 
yeah, Thunder Brigham's the favourite for the women's road race. And I can't remember Benji. I'm not a I'm not a cycling historian. Has anyone done the world world champs road race and TT double in the same year in like recent history? I don't think in recent history. Maybe in women's cycling it might have, but in men's cycling I don't think it has been at all in recent years. So I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, I think it's either Annemiek van Vloten or van der Bregen. Um, but yeah, correct us if we've missed that. Apologies if we have. And just while we're on women's cycling and some news that's just come out, Giro Rosa has been dumped down. This is from La Flamme Rouge. He's tweeted this because he's checked out the uh, on Twitter. He's checked out the new UCI calendar. Giro Rosa has been bumped down to down from a world tour race to a uh, like a just a pro race. Tour de Suisse will have a women's race in 2021 and Giro dell'Emilia will not be on the 2021 calendar at all and instead there'll be a Trey Valley Vatacine women's race. So it's hard to – people criticising Giro Rosa, Giro dell'Emilia. I criticise them a lot as well uh, for not showing live coverage. I don't know why they're not World Tour races next year on the calendar. I don't think I, – I don't think it's the UCI just going, hey, you failed to live up to your – obligations as a world tour race provider which is to show 45 minutes of live coverage so you're out i don't think that happened i think it's just folded and yeah lizzie banks the writer i've been talking about for great britain has spoken i think she done an interview in uh, cycling news about this about the lack of exposure for um women cycling or the lack of coverage etc um and i haven't read that yet so i'll have to read that and react but I have my views on it. I have my. I think I have to write a piece or do something about how I would market women's cycling better as a self-appointed expert. I think there's a lot of things that could change. But, yeah, I think the Giro Rosa and Giro della Emilia, it looks like they just didn't have the money to put the race on anymore, uh, which is a real shame because Giro Rosa was, yeah, it's it was the main stage race for women and hopefully Tour de Swiss. I don't know if it's going to fill that role next year. Uh, I can't remember whether the... Tour de France, like one week stage race, was supposed to be coming in next year that ASO announced, or whether that was in 2022. I know there's Paris Roubaix this year that's coming in. Unfortunately, well, Diget was never going to race that anyway. So it's really hard to get into women's cycling for the average fan when the races don't make sense and are changing year to year. Like it's hard enough for the average non European sports fan to get into cycling when you're explaining to them why the Tour of Flanders is a one-day race, why Driesdach de Baan uh, is one-day race, Sorry. and why no. the Tour de France is a three-week race and the Tour de Suisse is a one-week race and how they're all ranked. Explaining that is very difficult to an all, to a person who's not that familiar with cycling. Um, now explain... To them, okay, the women's races, well, it's completely different. They don't have the same names. It's not like women's tennis, pretty easy to follow. you got Wimbledon for men and women. you got, yeah, it's, I don't need to explain how tennis works. Um, but, yeah, it's just difficult when the races are coming in and out. There's no matching races except for maybe Flanders and, um, Jesus, what else? Now they've got two of the Swiss, Paris-Roubaix, was it moving in the right direction? Liège and Fletcher Wallonia, sorry. Um, yeah, they but they weren't televised anyway. So, yeah, it's just really difficult. I'm going to have to go and look at that, especially what Banks has said. Um, I do feel like sometimes, I don't want to put this on the riders either, but they 
can also leverage their social media profiles in a better way to inform people sometimes of what's going on with the races. I had I have no presence or had no presence a year ago and now yeah, I can tell people where races are and what's happening, etc., where to watch them. And if the Women's World Tour collectively uses their social media in a cohesive way, they can actually get a pretty big reach to to do that. But you know, that's just something tinkering around the edges. Um, there's nothing they can share a link to if there's not even live coverage. So there needs to be live coverage first for them to even be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I don't want to end on a on a particularly sour note. It wasn't a great wasn't great to see see Diet crash, but still Anna van der Breggen, uh, a worthy winner. Um, I hope Diet can come back in time for yeah Olympics next year, or maybe she'll have a World Tour license next year. That would be awesome to see her at Paris Roubaix as well. Um, and yeah, we'll see what Anna van der Breggen can do on, in the road race, whether she can go back to back. Something Cancellara was not able to do. Men's race. I'm pretty excited for the men's road race as well. Um, can Mark she get the third Swiss medal for the World Championships? It's been a pretty good one so far, even though it snuck up on us in Imola. Um, but yeah, is there anything you can take away from the ITT, Benji? Do you think it's pretty clear now that Ghana is the best time trialist in the world? You say, Would you say he's the best all-around TT in the world? I would say that. He's won gold today. He's won the prologue. He won this length. I'm happy to call it, even as Australian, as an Australian. I would say that he's definitely um, worthy of being called the world champion, and he's definitely worthy as being seen the best time trialist in the world. And I'm glad that he will have other results outside of the world championships with Dennis. That was a bit less in the last two years, and it annoyed me a bit that it was only like the world championships that sticked out. With Ghana, we have the Tirena one. I think we'll have the Giro one as well if he rides it like that because it, on paper, should be the world's record of fastest time trial ever because it starts with a tiny uphill but then a huge descent. So it's going to be really curious to see what that ends up being, but I think that's going to be one hell of a uh, prologue slash time trial. It's not really a prologue. It's too long for that, but one hell of a time trial to uh, to see because the best TTRs are up there. If Avonapool was at the start there as well, we'd have one hell of a time trial. Just for is there is not really there, but I think we've got uh, Dennis at the start there as well. Today he might not have been up there, but maybe he can be up there then because he needs to find a way to make his season a bit better outside of this race because if Dennis doesn't win world champion, what else is there in his season? To be honest, not really too much. So he's got to find a way to uh, get that success back this year and hopefully he can find a success in this year at least. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Olympics next year. He's still contracted for Ineos next year in 2021. But yeah, he's got, I don't know if he's, yeah, he's got the Olympics. That was supposed to be his like a priority this year. Um, but yeah, can he beat Ghana again on any course below 40 kilometers? Certainly if it has some hills, it'll be a lot closer between them. Uh, but there's some transfer news today. I think we'll save that. We'll keep this at a round hour or just under, and we'll talk about that at an appropriate time when we've had time to digest how it might really play out. We'll keep this to the ITTs. Thanks for listening. I just realised that I ha- we have over on the on the podcast we have over 640 reviews or ratings because I was only looking at the British ratings, um, so it was much less than I thought. Benji told me how the internet works, and we have a lot more than I thought. Um, that's crazy. I was kind of speechless and 
Um, yeah, it's just insane, really, having that number. That's like half of podcasts that are like the biggest in the world that have been going for about seven years. So pat all yourselves on the back, give yourself a collective pat on the back, and uh, we'll see you with a wrap-up pod after the two road races are finished. I think we might take to tomorrow off, or I might sneak in there with a little cheeky extra podcast if I'm feeling generous. Ciao.